All right, everybody, here we go. Another episode of Two Man Advantage. Scott Burnside here, and as always, my good friend in mid-renovation, Pierre Lebrun in Toronto. And right off the hop today, we, we, we have an all-star cast today, Pierre, as Calgary Flames GM Brad Treliving is joining us live. And uh, Brad, I'm assuming you're in Calgary, but, to, but uh, thank you for hanging out with us a bit today. No, it's uh, thanks for having me. Good to be with you guys. Yes, and, and Brad and Brad should know what uh, everyone else who listens to our podcast this season knows. Yes, that is the sound of drilling and hammering right underneath me here in my home office because uh, we are living through a reno in our house. It's become part of the atmosphere of this podcast is uh, <laughs> hearing the workers around us. So, so Brad, don't be don't be uh, thrown off by the sounds you're hearing from my line here. <laughs> no, I won't distract. I wouldn't expect anything less with Chateau Lebrun getting. Extended weather. Is that the tenth bedroom being added onto that? Oh yeah, right. Yeah, right. I live in Toronto, Brad. I'm lucky to have a bedroom. Well, you know, it's actually I've I've has suggested to Pierre, Brad, that he should be doing a reality show around it, and it's kind of I'm going to use that as a segue to ask you. Before we get to the juggernaut like Calgary Flames, I'm I'm I don't know if a lot of people are aware, but uh, your father is a Canadian television celebrity. Uh, speaking of reality shows, your dad Jim has been on the Dragon's Den, which I think it's fair to say is sort of the Canadian equivalent of Shark Tank, uh, um, a reality business show. And and I I wonder what's that been like for you, especially moving from Arizona back to Canada and, and, and being in Calgary, do you have a sense of your dad's fame or what's, what's that been like for you to maybe turn on the TV and see him uh, occasionally? Yeah, well, um, we didn't get, I didn't see it obviously when we were in, in Arizona, I'd hear about it. Um, but certainly when we moved North, um, uh, yeah, there, he's, he's got a profile and, and the show is a popular one and, we try to catch it every now and again. And probably my daughters um, watch it more and are, give me the updates on it. When they, uh, it was weird for them when they came up here and they're like, they were younger, but kind of turned on the TV and said, There's, what, what's grandpa doing on TV? So, uh, no, I know he's had fun with it and, uh, and uh, good for him and uh, we're proud of him. And Brad, obviously your life changed when you, when you moved uh, to Calgary, because not only did you move into the hotbed of a, of a Canadian NHL market, but uh, it's been your first GM gig. And, and I'm just wondering what, how much life has changed for you uh, in terms of being in the spotlight and, and, and the demands of a really demanding market in Calgary and, and how you've grown into it uh, after all these years here. Well, it's certainly, yeah, it's certainly a change um, from where I was, no question. I mean, first of all, just, you know, taking on the manager's job for the first time um, is a challenge but uh, um, and a change. But, you know, it, for me, it was, it, was a, it was a great situation. When I came in here, obviously, uh, Brian Burke was here. Uh, Brian had brought me in. Um, and then, obviously, everybody knows Brian's experience and was just a great sounding board. Um, not, not as, not, not just as you go through the, the, the job and talk about different things, but a lot on the front end in terms of preparation and, and talking about, you know, um, it's one thing to be a manager in this league. It's another one to be a, a manager in a Canadian market. And you always think you're prepared. You always think you're, you know what it's going to be like. And, um, but until you're in it, 
and and as you said, Pierre, it's it's um, it's a it's a market that um, is very passionate about the game. Um, they it's it's 12 months a year, 365 days um, that hockey is the number one thing here. So to me, I don't necessarily look at it as you know additional pressure or anything. Like that. You always want to be. I don't care what any any walk of life you're in. You want to be where the juice is, and you you know our 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 sport, our team matters in the market. Um, and those are the things that it sort of gets you cranked up um, each day. And, and uh, you know, certainly when you go through difficult times, people are, you know, never short on suggestions, which is great. You never have to go too long without, uh, you know, a, a few suggestions being thrown at you. But it's been, it's been great. Um, you know, we've loved it here. The, our family loves the city and, uh, and uh, we've enjoyed every minute of it. Well, Brad, I, I, people certainly can't uh, accuse you of, of, of being shy or, or not stepping to the plate because you had uh, a pretty dramatic offseason when you think about Bill Peters coming in as the new head coach coming over from Carolina and then uh, a, a deal uh, on the draft weekend, uh, sending Dougie Hamilton and, and Michael Ferland to Carolina for uh, Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin. And uh, I wonder if, I, I think a lot of us were like, okay, I wonder how, you know, you wonder how it's going to work out for both those teams. And um, I wonder what you thought in maybe in your wildest dreams. Okay. This is, this is how our team will look as a result of this deal and with Bill behind the bench. And and maybe if it's different than you imagine it would be. Well, first off going into the spring and the summer last year, you know, we, we, it was a disappointing year for us and we sort of stepped back and, and brought our hockey department together and, and sort of locked ourselves and, I went up to Banff for for a week and locked ourselves in a room and just started to try to peel back the onion and and you know first off I would say we made a real difficult decision. Glenn Gullitson is 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 a is a great coach. You don't find a better person, and I think he's just an excellent coach. and And I said it at the time, and I and I um, I I'm consistent and, and believe it today that you know our our shortcomings last year. I do not put. Um, at the feet of just our, our our coach last year, Glenn, and that that was a real difficult one for me because I, I I have strong feelings towards Glenn as a person and and his ability as a coach. Um, but when he stepped back, we just felt we needed to, you know, we needed to, you know, make it make a, a serious change here. Um, you know, just even and how we approach um, approach things, and and so we brought in Bill. I had a I had a a short history, if you will, with Bill, um, um, through the world championships. We both worked with team Canada. Uh, I met, was a co-manager with George McPhee and in 16 over in Russia, we won gold and Bill was the coach and the, and the, the real beauty of, of a tournament like that. And is you get, you know, you get to see the behind the scenes every day of, of your staff and, and watching how Bill communicates with his players and, game plans and prepares and, and just really how they go behind, uh, go about doing their job. So, um, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a history there. And then we got into the player personnel side and, and again, felt that we, we needed to, we need to make a change here um, with our team and specifically looking at our group up front for, for, you know, as long as I've been here, we really, we really rode the backs of Goudreau and Monaghan in terms of our offense. And, you know, when they were going, they, they, you know, they led the ship for us and nights that, that it was tough for them. 
um, we didn't really have a whole lot of support for them. So we, we relied on too few to do too much. And, you know, the auspices of that deal was, can we create more offense? And, you know, Elias Lindholm was a player that we've, we've liked for a long time. Um, I think he's a real underrated player. I think he, he, he probably didn't get the recognition he deserved playing in, in, you know, in, in Carolina where, you know, I think if he, if, if he was in a, in a bigger market, um, I think people would know Elias a lot better than they did going into the year. Um, but we think he just, you know, he, it's an often overused statement about a 200-foot player, but he touches every part of the game. Um, you know, he's a top penalty killer. He's a, he can play against top players. He plays five-on-five, five, power play, penalty kill, four-on-four, three-on-three. Any situation, he's a guy that's first over the boards, uh, which is a unique player. And and secondarily, but but not uh, not any least important, we think he was on the brink of of you know breaking out. You know when you really look and and do a deep dive into his you know watching him, but also the data that we collect. You know we always said he he was he was great on 185 feet of the ice. It was that last 15. He created chances, had lots of opportunities, and at some point they were going to start going in for him. And and they have this year. And he's been a great complement to that line. Um, and like I said, he touches every part of the game. And then we looked at Noah Hannafin as a, as just a young player. Uh, people forget he's 21 years old, um, was approaching 300 games, and we think he was just scratching the surface. And the way we wanted to play from the back end in terms of mobility and being able to get up in the ice and, and jumpstart the attack, he, he, he fit right in with what we were trying to do. So um, thus far it's worked out well. You always have, um, you know, Best laid plans sometimes don't work out, but um, I'd say both have exceeded the expectations that we've had for them. And I, as I look back around that time, uh, Brad, I remember doing a bit of reporting on what I thought were were discussions that had happened between Calgary and Carolina. But of course, where I got it wrong is I, I thought that those talks had kind of come and gone. And that's why I was a bit uh, took me off guard when you pulled off the blockbuster. But part of that too is that and I'm sure this is where it caught your attention at the time, is Carolina did sort of try to sign Elias one last time, I think, right before draft weekend or even on the Friday. And and I think that was a key point where when they couldn't get it done, obviously they, they decided to deal him. I mean, how are you sitting on pins and needles knowing all this is happening or what was your vantage point of, of that side of things when you're, you know, when you're trying to get this player? Yeah. I mean, we, we were, trying to stay in touch um, or, or or stay on top of what the situation was. But like in any deal period, there's ebbs and flows. You don't know, you know, we had, we had, we were having, you know, a bunch of different conversations at that time. And, and um, you know, I'd say, you know, leading up to the draft, uh, we, we were, we were, we were sort of deep into this one for a few weeks prior to the draft. And then mm-hmm. as, as typically is the case, when you show up in the draft city, things, things pick up. Um, and you, you get, you know, as you get closer to the draft itself, a lot of times you're dealing with that, that year's currency, whether it be picks or, or whatnot. And, and things just happen there. you got everybody there. Everybody's trying to, you know, I think mm-hmm. that's the time of the year in, in, in June, July and August when you build your teams. Um, and it just, it worked out, you know, it worked out that we got to, um, I had a lot of talk with Donnie the night of, um, on the Friday night and then. Saturday, we spent most of the morning going through it and we were able to consummate the deal um, at some point on Saturday uh, during the draft. So, um, you know, and, 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 and 
you know, you always think these are deals that work out for both teams. Or we gave up um, two good players and, and a real good prospect in, in Adam Fox. So hopefully it works out for both sides. Oh, well, I wanted to ask you, Brad, when you – because, when I mean, that's a – that's a, a game changer, if you will, for really for both those teams, because there are a lot of important pieces that that changed locales as a result of that deal. And I wonder what's the adrenaline rush when you're, you know, when you're thinking about a player like a Dougie Hamilton, who's a consistent 40, you know, one year had 50 points for you guys. You know, Michael Furland was a 20 goal guy. You're making a move that has, you know, has the potential to have ramifications for years. And I wonder what the adrenaline rush is like, you know, at the end of that day, when you make that deal, you're like, okay, boy, boy, I really hope that works out. Or what's, what's the emotion like when you, when you're doing something that is, you know, really important for the future of your team and, and obviously important for the future of the Carolina Hurricanes too. Well, yeah, no question, Scott. You, you, I guess I try, you try to step back from all that. You know, you're trying to really dive in and, and, and focus in on, you know, you, 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 don't, you don't do deals for, you know, to make statements or anything. You're trying to make your team better. And like I said, we've kind of targeted these two players for, for, for a period of time and, and and it's also the spill-off effect. I think you know any team that does a deal, you're you're dealing with these two players in this particular case. But then you you know you map it out of how how all the other pieces in your team fall together. So with us, you know it, we looked at it and said, okay, if you if you if you break them down individually, you know adding Noah Hannafin, if we're if you're moving Hamilton, you know how does that all play out? We really felt strongly that. Um, you know, TJ Brody is a is a real good player, and and he'd be the first to to admit you the last year and a half probably hasn't gone the way he'd want it to go. We felt that you know putting him back in with on the on the right side where he's very comfortable as a left shot, but he's very comfortable playing the right side with Mark Giordano. You know, you go back a couple of years, they had they were they were as good as any pair in the in the National Hockey League. Um, so we we slot that in. We we look at where where Noah would fit with us. We felt we had some real good young players, um, especially on our blue line, uh, Yusuf Alamaki, Oliver Shillington, Rasmus Anderson, that we felt were, were, were going to be pushing for jobs, um, if not this year in the very near future. So then you start to look at how that left side matches up. Um, I think Mark Giordano is playing at an elite level right now, but as he as he gets older, you know, now you've got a 21-year-old Noel Hannafin, you've got a, you know, at the time a 19-year-old Yusuf Alamaki, a 20-year-old Oliver Shillington, a 21-year-old uh, Rasmus Anderson, sort of coming. Uh, you know, as as one gets older, the others uh, are starting to hit their their stride. So we, not no deal is done or no move is done in isolation. You you map out how you think all the sequencing will be affected, and then obviously you know uh, the financial component in today's game plays a large portion in this. We we. We looked at both these players and 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 the the amount of years under team control. Um, in the case of the players we gave up, Dougie's under contract. I think two more years um, after this year. Michael Furland is a pending UFA. Um, really good players. We we looked at the players that we received and the ability to to both were in need of contracts. But you know you're looking at six seven years of team control. Um, and we just you know so all those pieces line up. So. It, there is a mo. Yeah, you know, probably when you're, but you 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 back away from that emotion, and you're you're really dealing in the details of how how everything fits and works, and 
you know, if you move one piece, where do you fill in behind it? And uh, so that's really where all the energy is, is done. Um, I think once the deal is done, I, I'm a firm believer you can't, you know, you've made your deal, you do all your, you know, planning and, you know, you challenge yourself and your staff and, you know, lots of debate. Um, you got to do that ahead of time. There's no sense doing the deal and wondering after you, obviously you're always hopeful that things work out, but, um, you know, you, you, you put in the, the sweat equity beforehand. Once the deal's done, you move on and, and, uh, you know, continue to look for the next thing that can help your team. And before we let you go here, uh, Brad, thanks again for joining us. Uh, you quickly mentioned Giordano there in terms of being reunited with TJ Bodie, but I, you know, I, I don't know that Mark Giordano is getting the credit league wide, not that he would seek it nor nor would you but it seems to me like he should be in the norris conversation at this point don't, don't you think i mean I, I think he's having uh one of his better seasons well i i'm certainly biased but uh you know having being able to watch i <clears throat> um and i came to to calgary i knew mark giordano was a really good player until but it's like anything else until you see him every day um and and how he prepares how he looks after himself um, you know, he's, he's really the stir that, uh, or the straw that stirs the drink for us. Um, he is our, he's our leader back there. Um, and, and you're right. I think the year he's having the production he's having, you know, he plays the hardest minutes, the most minutes, um, he, he's doing, you know, I think the rest of the league is seeing what we've known for a long time that Mark Giordano is a, is an elite player and one of the top, top defensemen in the league. So, um, it's been off to a great start. And, uh, and uh, we're hopeful and confident he'll keep it going. All right. Good stuff. Well, Brad, thank you for dropping by and, uh, and sharing your insight and your time with us. And uh, we got through most of this without too much drilling. It's all, the timing is good now that the drilling's <laughs> picked up at Pierre's house. So. Yeah, but, get uh, that shack going there, Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thanks, for, thanks for dropping by and, and continued success to you and the Flames, who, as we speak now, lead the Pacific Division. 46 points, Brad. So that's a, that's a pretty good start for your squad. So thanks for, thanks for hanging out with us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, that was that was great, and uh, I'll uh, I usually I give you kudos, uh, Pierre, for coming up with uh, with our guests, but uh, it was good it was good to get uh, Brad on, and I I'm with you. I don't think people are, I don't know whether people believe in the flame. So I'll ask you, what what do you think the perception is? Because I think there is, I think there's a reluctance to to lump Calgary in with the Winnipegs and the Nashvilles in the Western conference. Do you think that's fair or do you, are people coming around to, to how good the, the flames might be? Do you think? Well, I, I personally think they are the real deal. And I felt that way in the off season when they made their moves. Now where I had hesitance is after I watched them play closely a couple of times in October, I say closely, not in person, but I worked a couple of their games on TSN uh, Montreal and Toronto, uh, Montreal and Calgary played twice. I worked those broadcasts and I was concerned by what I saw at times, especially the game in Montreal where the Flames didn't seem to know what they were doing in their own zone. But I think what you saw there in October with the Flames at times is, is the adjustment period under a new coach, but also the fact that they had made a point that they really wanted to be a more offensive team this year, Scott. And I yeah. think for a while that came at the expense of how they were going to defend they did. They found their sea legs, I think, after the opening month, and really have become this balanced team that uh, that can defend very well, which we're more used to seeing with them. But now have balanced scoring and don't just rely on on, on Gujo and Monahan. So it, 
you know, obviously the goaltending going forward is always going to be interesting. David Riddich is an amazing story this year. Um, Mike Smith, you know, you, you want him healthy and, and you don't want him overburdened. I guess that would be the question hanging into the playoffs of this team is, is what, what's that going to look like? But I, I think they're the real deal. I really do. I mean, I probably still think San Jose is the most talented team in the Pacific, but, you know, they've kind of been off and on. So it, it's really opened the door for Calgary. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they're a top five team in both goals scored per game and goals allowed. And so when you're in that kind of territory that you know you're getting it done. And it's funny, you mentioned Mark Giordano and and maybe not getting, you know, sort of the the early Norris buzz that he might be due. And it's, it's funny, I was I was out with some colleagues uh, last night and we were talking about some of the major awards and who we liked. And, and we were talking about the Jack Adams. And I, I, I was probably remiss in, in not sort of throwing Bill Peters name out there because I think, mm-hmm. you know, a team now there is you and I are chatting here, they're plus 29 goal differential, which is uh, tops in the Western conference. Uh, they're tied in points uh, among Western conference teams. So they are right, right there with the powers in Winnipeg and Nashville. And I just think, uh, especially for a team that as Brad mentioned was so dis- you know, had a disappointing year last year and for Bill Peters to come in and have made the kind of impact that he has, you know, mid-season, of course, it means very little, but uh, wouldn't you have Bill Peters in your Jack Adams shortlist at this stage? Yeah, no, I know. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, Jack Adams is always about who surprises the most and which team improved the most. It's either one or the other. Sometimes it's obviously the same thing. And so Calgary is a team that's improved a ton, and Bill Peters deserves a lot of that credit. So he'll, he'll be in that conversation, but it's always a long list. I mean, if the Sabres keep doing yep. what they're doing, Phil Housley may win the Jack Adams. Yes. Um, if the New York Islanders surprise and make the playoffs in the year in which they don't, they lost John Tavares, Barry Trotz will get strong consideration. If the Montreal Canadiens hang on to a wild card spot, I don't know how Claude Julian doesn't get a look. So, I, I, you know, I mean, I think that there's a lot of, and, and, you know, this is my pet peeve about this award, and luckily I don't vote on it. Uh, it's a broadcaster's award, not a writer's award, but the guys who end up first often, but because we thought they'd be first, never get a look. That's it. <laughs> so, That's it. so John John Cooper won't get a vote. Mike Babcock probably won't get a vote. You know, it's a, it's sort of this weird. Uh, you know, Peter Laviolette probably won't even get a sniff. I mean, uh, Paul, Paul Maurice. Maurice. Yeah. So because that's what happens with this award. It's it, it's unfortunately not about truly who's done the best coaching, although often you know it overlaps. But it's really about surprise and improvement. That, that's what yeah. that award's about. Well, and I would, in that entire vein, I would throw Ken Hitchcock's name into the mix too. If the Oilers, <laughs> right. who, who currently own a wild card spot in the Western Conference, if they hang around, no question, Ken Hitchcock's name will be. In there I, too, I, I so. thought I thought Hitch retired after last year in Dallas. <laughs> well, in, fact, I, in, I, in fact, you drove him to retirement. I by drove him to retirement. <laughs> well, that's he. He and I texted when he took that job. I said, "You, you could. Uh, I can't. Sh- I can't promise I'll show up every day to bug you, but uh, I bug him occasionally." <laughs> my time, so. All right, uh, my friend. Well, listen. Uh, don't go away uh, because we'll come back uh, in a brief moment, as we always do for the second segment of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Um, so hang in, and uh, we'll be right back. All right, as promised, back for segment two. Two-Man Advantage, the podcast. Pierre Lebrun. Uh, Pierre, before we get into we're going to hear from Wayne Simmons of the Philadelphia Flyers. Obviously, a very uh, tumultuous time in uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers, so we'll get to that in a minute. But you know what? I want to know who I have to call 
in Toronto to get you on the stage for the Nutcracker, the National Ballet. <laughs> Why are you not on? I see Austin Matthews is on there. I think your colleagues, it wasn't Darren Dreger and James It was uh, Dregs and Duffy uh, did it, and as well as uh, Jay and Dan from, uh, from uh, SportsCenter. Um, right. Uh, and, and if you want a little inside information here, a little insider trading, yeah. I believe that Dregs was not the first choice. I believe Bob McKenzie. No, wait a minute. Dregs was the first choice. James Duffy wasn't the first choice. Bob McKenzie turned down the Nutcracker is the uh, inside information I have. Wow. But I want to know, what, <laughs> like, and listen, there is no reason you should not be asked. I've seen you move, my friend. You've, you are a ballet person. Like you've got the, it's in your soul. I, so I'm disappointed. I, I'm going to make, I'm going to start lobbying for next year that you should be part of the National Ballet. That's, was, was that's a really it, cool uh, thing, though. Was it was it Michael Farber that tweeted after Matthews and Marner went to the Nutcracker that uh, going to the ballet used to have a different connotation in hockey? But anyway, I guess it's, uh... <laughs> well, specifically in Montreal, I think yes. That's a very cool thing, though. I like that was, and I was uh, I followed the Austin Matthews comments. Uh, after his brief appearance, it, it's an annual uh, thing, right? I mean, you would correct me if I'm wrong, but every year celebrities um, have a small part in the National Ballet performance of the Nutcracker um, on various nights uh, during the holiday season. And uh, and Austin Matthews, what I think his comments, he, he felt like six hours. I think he was on on stage for a minute or something like that. But he said it felt like six hours. So I thought it was. I thought he handled it very well. Yeah, no, that's pretty neat for sure. I, I just don't think they'd have pants big enough for me, but uh, who knows? <laughs> well, that's what seamstresses are for, right? <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's let's do this. Let let's hear from uh, Wayne Simmons. I was uh, spent some time in Philadelphia, as you know, and mm-hmm. um, I actually went to, down to the coast and spent some time with Keith Primo and his family for uh, situation, which will uh, be working on into the new year and had lunch with James Van Riemsdyk and then went uh, to a hospital visit with the Philadelphia Flyers and caught up with Wayne Simmons, um, who is, you know, is in a contract year and uh, he would share the information. He and his um, partner are expecting their first child, I think eight months or no, it's in the spring sometimes. So he, they're, they're That's awesome. Yeah, so good news, and um, and Wayne Simmons talked uh, again pretty openly about what's gone on with the Flyers this year. So let's give it a listen. Uh, our conversation, my conversation with Wayne Simmons of the Philadelphia Flyers. Thank you for doing this. Oh, no problem. All right, uh, Wayne Simmons, Philadelphia Flyers. We're chatting just after the annual Flyers Christmas visit at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And you're the last guy to leave the the table, and I wonder. What's 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 it mean for you to to spend time with kids, especially just before the holiday? And is that something you've had to sort of learn as you went along in your career to be comfortable with and to you know to to maybe appreciate these kinds of visits more? Yeah, um, you know, I think first off, you know, I think it's obviously something. You know, it's great. It's great to see the uh, you know the children. Um, you know, the least we could do, you know, I, I think is you know to come out and try to you know share some joy with the kids. You know, they're going through a tough time and. Um, um, you know, we play a sport for a living, so if you can come out and you can make a kid's day and just, you know, get a couple of smiles, some giggles out of them, you know, it goes a long way. Now, you did tell me that uh, in the next eight or nine months, 
children of your own for the first time. Uh, do you think it means more, like when you think about being a father for the first time and then seeing some of these kids here, do you think it brings it home more, maybe a little bit more? Do you maybe make you think about what your new job is going to be in the next eight or nine months? Um, yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, this could happen to anybody. So, you know, I think this is... You know, we're all humans at the end of the day and you know we all want to see each other do well and you all you all wish for you know everyone's child to be healthy so um you know like i said you know this is the least uh, i could i could do you know is come out you know see some kids and um you know try to make them you know a little bit more cheerful during the holidays you know this is this is something i, I think being a hockey player you learn from the start i remember my first year playing in los angeles we did a child we did um we went to the children's hospital there so um you know this is something that we, we've always done and it's always been a part of the hockey culture and um you know uh, you know, I pray to God that it stays that way. Do, do you remember your first experience meeting an NHL player when you were either growing up, or and and maybe what kind of impact that had? Do you, was there a moment for you that maybe you crossed paths with uh, with an NHL player or something like that when you were growing up? Yeah, I can tell you exactly what happened, who it was, what time of day it was, <laughs> what I asked for. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's something that sticks with you. And um, you know, I remember the first NHL player I met was Kevin Weeks, and then the second was Anson Carter, and then the third was Brad Richards because we were all out of camp and those are just the order of what guys I talked to, right? I remember Anson, asking Anson Carter for his skate lace, you know, like a piece of tape off of Brad Richards' stick. So, oh um, yeah, no, that's, it's something that you always carry with you and um, I, I think at the time you don't really know. I think especially when you're, you know, you're a younger player, you don't realize, um, you know, what you're doing for the kids. But as you get older, obviously you mature and you see a lot of stuff happen and, um, you know, it's, it's big. You uh, grew up in the Toronto area, and since we're thinking about the holidays, was yeah. is there a was there a Simmons family holiday tradition? Was there a special Christmas gift that you know a hockey gift maybe that you remember or when you think about the holidays? Ah, uh, we didn't have you know too many traditions. Obviously, we got together as a family and we always had a dinner. But um, you know, I remember my the gift that you know probably was my favorite gift was my first composite stick I got it at Easton and it wasn't even a, a, a one piece it was a two piece but I still remember you know that stick to this day and um, right after that I went over to the Paul Coffey tournament up at Chesswood Arena and uh, scored a couple goals with it so um, it was pretty cool you don't still have it around no, no definitely no. not I probably broke it <laughs> two days later <laughs> um, so the business at hand Philadelphia Flyers I think it's fair to say it's been uh, a uh, first half of a season lots of upheaval and lots of change. And yeah. I wonder, as a veteran player, are you? Do you think you're better equipped to ride out these kinds of things than maybe when you were younger and, and maybe it was more difficult, or is it is it always unsettling, regardless of how old you are? Um, I think it's you know it's unfortunate you know what's what's happened you know so far this year. Um, you know we haven't performed you know too well as a team on the ice. So you know I think when that happens, unfortunately, hockey's a business at the same time as it being a game. So. Um, you know, I think you feel bad, um, you know, for, you know, your coaches, you know, your GM, you know, in this situation. And, um, you know, you kind of take that and, you know, I don't want to say you blame yourself, but you think maybe you could have done more, you know, to help a man keep his job. But at the same time, like I said, it's a business. And, you know, I've I've had coaches, you know, replaced in the middle of the season before and it's stuff that you've gone through. And, um, 
I think you just got to focus on what your job is, which is, you know, being a hockey player and going out there and performing to the best of your ability. It's, I mean, it's an, uh, an interesting year for you, of course, a contract year. And do you, and having gone through it, do you think you approach it differently now because you, you have experience? Or like, how do you not think about, I wonder what's going to happen at the deadline. I wonder what's going to happen in the offseason. How do you, how do you, how do you put that in its place? Uh, for me, it's just going out there and playing hockey, like I said, you know, especially with all the changes that we've had around here, you know, there's nothing that's really, you know, under my control, right? You know, we got, we got a new coach, we got a new GM, um, you know, anything's possible. So for me, it's just, I just want to go out there and, um, you know, be the best player that I can possibly be and, you know, contribute to this team and, you know, try and, you know, help, help us win games. And we're coming off a period where young goaltender gets his first victory in his first game. Does it make you think about your own initial steps in the NHL? Does it make you think about your very first NHL game? Yeah, um, you know, it was pretty cool last night. I was watching um, highlights and stuff like that after the game when I went home and uh, they showed Carter. Um, you know, with his parents and his billets and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it's pretty emotional feeling. I remember playing my first NHL game. Well, my first home game anyway, my parents got a chance to come to in L.A. And, um, you know, same sort of thing. You know, you're obviously you're extremely excited. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to score a goal in my first game. And, you know, Carter was lucky enough to get a win in his first game. So it's, um, you know, it's something that I don't think can be replicated. Uh, okay, Pierre, a couple couple things to unpack with the Flyers because of course during my visit literally uh, when I got off the plane and went out to the uh, Flyers practice facility in Voorhees, New Jersey uh, came at the same time that Dave Haxtell did not appear on the ice to coach the team at practice and uh, the announcement from new GM Chuck Fletcher that Dave Haxtell had been fired and that uh, in spite of rumors that Joel Quenville was uh, going to take the job that uh, Scott Gordon uh, is was going to be promoted from the Lehigh Valley Club, the American Hockey League affiliate of the Flyers, and uh, on an interim basis, and would coach for the rest of the season. Uh, and the, then, you know, Chuck Fletcher will presumably uh, decide what to do vis-a-vis his, that head coaching spot in the off season. It, it, were you, were you surprised at how it unfolded, or what was your what was your take on on the uh, the, the coaching change following the GM change in Philadelphia? Well, first of all, I wonder if everyone in Philadelphia thought you were the new coach, given the timing <laughs> of your arrival. But, I know, could have been. <laughs> <laughs> that would have set the Flyers back a decade. Um, yes, of course. No, I'm not surprised. I mean, really, if you look back at when uh, Chuck Fletcher. Uh, or not so much when Chuck Fletcher was hired, but when Ron Hextall was fired, I don't think Paul Holmgren could have been any more blunt than, well, as far as the coach goes, that's up to the new GM. It's not, that wasn't exactly an endorsement for Dave Hextall. Um, I will tell you this. I, I, I know that I don't think that Chuck Fletcher wanted that to be his first act as Flyers GM. I, I think he would have loved to have made a trade and given Dave, Dave Hextall a chance to turn things around. But after that, horrendous road trip they really had no choice i mean there was a yeah. total disconnect between hackstall and the players and, and chuck fletcher had to act so it'll be interesting uh you know i think scott gordon has a chance to prove himself uh, but obviously uh at the end of the season you know there might be a search involving other candidates so it'll be interesting with chuck fletcher obviously i think the philly media was quick to point to the top dog in Joel Quenville as any market would, because as, as long as Joel Quenville remains a free agent, it's almost like the year Mike Babcock was a free agent. 
there's there's going to be a hue and cry to, for every market to try and approach Joel Quenville. But it, but beyond that, uh, you know, we, we I think you also have to look at Chuck Fletcher's past. I mean, he had Mike Yeo in Minnesota, and those two remain very close. Um, you know, he's worked with Michelle Terran in, in the past. Yeah. Um, so I think there's other candidates you could probably look at as well, if indeed, uh, you know, they decide to go another route past Scott Gordon after the year. But who knows, maybe Scott Gordon will will leave the kind of impression that will make him a front runner. Well, and, you know, I'm, I'm pleased for Scott Gordon to get the opportunity because um, it is, whether it's for the Flyers or not, this is, there's no better opportunity for Scott Gordon to reestablish himself as an NHL head coach now, right? He's going to have 40 plus games and, you know, the Eastern Conference pretty, pretty soft. He's, you know, it's not beyond the, uh, you know, the, the possibility that the Flyers could get back in the playoff hunt. Um and if it's not Philadelphia, at least this is a chance to showcase his coaching uh, chops for for other teams, and, and and we'll see what happens there. And it was great, you know, and and was, there was lots of drama there. Carter Hart gets his first start. I think a lot of people were really worried. You know, were they rushing the kid up? He just really started to play um, well at the American Hockey League level, and then to be sort of thrust into the limelight. Now he did get to the win in a very you know, against a pretty pretty ordinary Detroit team. They, they did not test him much, so it'll be interesting. He's going to have harder competition as he moves along. But um, you know, what, do you think the Flyers can get back in it? Or or is it is it, uh, is it really going to be about Chuck Fletcher managing his assets? And this will bring me in a wide circle back to Wayne, mm-hmm. Wayne Simmons' situation. What, what, if, you're, if you're Chuck Fletcher, you got to balance. You know, he, he was brought in to make changes. Um, but if you're not going to be a playoff team, then the changes you have to make are, are maximizing your assets, maybe like moving a, a, a top uh, value player like Wayne Simmons. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot to, to chew on there. Uh, very, very good long question, Scotty. You know, I love those. Yeah, I know. Well, that's that's I, I know that it allows you to nap between the start and the finish. That's, you're well rested when you get to answer so when you look at the the flyers and in many ways i was thinking a lot about ray Shiro and the devils this week we had ray Shiro on leafs lunch on tsn radio and mm-hmm. you could hear the disappointment in his voice even though he obviously believes in what they're doing there that it's been a tough year but if you look at the eastern conference it's very kind of strange this year there isn't a runaway cellar dweller right i mean philly and new jersey as we tape this are at the bottom um you know on thursday afternoon and yet, because because of the way the Metropolitan Division is set up, so, you know, like, sort of ignore the wild card for now, because the wild card is almost like an Atlantic Division race at this point. But, you know, I mean, the Metro, the Islanders, as we tape this, are in third place at 38. I don't know that we have tremendous confidence. Great work by Barry Trotzer, by, by the way, this year. But course, we have yeah. great confidence that that's going to remain, right? I mean, you kind of feel like Pittsburgh's going to figure it out at some point. I mean... They're actually tied on points as we tape this, but big win over Washington last night. Um, but, you know, Pittsburgh's there. But I guess my point is the Metro's been so uneven this year, other than I think Washington's going to run, run away with it now, that it might be a situation where a six, seven game win streak for either the Devils or the Flyers could dramatically change the way things look in that division, yeah. uh, at, le- at least at the bottom of it. And, so I, I don't know that I would fully write them off, but I, at the end of the day, I don't know that the Wayne Simmons decision, I'll finally get to your question here. <laughs> re, I don't know that it really um, 
depends on whether or not they become relevant for the end of the year or not in terms of a playoff race, because at the end of the day, it's all about the contract. And so my understanding is Chuck Fletcher will probably reach out and and talk to Wayne Simmons and his agent Eustace King at some point in the new year. And they'll, you know, they'll, they'll talk about everything that you would with a pending UFA. Every, I mean, January is going to be a busy month for a lot of teams that way, right? Ottawa's going to want to know from Mark Stone's camp and Matt Duchesne's camp. Uh, Columbus will have to circle back on Bobrovsky and Panarin. I mean, all around the league, a lot of teams are going to their pending UFAs, especially if they're key players, and they're, they're going to try and either extend them or make a decision. Um, and in terms of the Flyers, I think that's just it. You know, what makes sense in terms of retaining Wayne Simmons? Uh, and I know that this was something I think that Ron Hextall struggled with, uh, which is why I didn't get done last summer is that they love Wayne Simmons in Philadelphia. He's really, as, as you know, Scott, he really well-respected in that room. and, and No question. Has a unique yeah. skill set, you know, can score goals, uh, has a, a, uh, an element of physicality that we don't see as much in today's NHL. But are you comfortable giving him seven years, let's say? I, I don't think so. I, I think, unfortunately for Wayne, what makes him so valuable is also... You know, his greatest asset is also what worries you the most about long a long-term deal. Yeah. Is 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 the price, the physical price that is paid because of the way he plays. So, you know, if if there's something there that makes sense over four or five years, you know, is that something Chuck Fletcher does? I I, I don't know, maybe, but certainly, if Wayne Simmons and his agent Eustace King decide this is my one and only shot to go to free agency and score, then then maybe. That goes another route, and the Flyers uh, deal him. So I, I really think that is a, a sort of a crossroads that the Flyers haven't quite gone through yet, and they and they will uh, come January. Yeah, he's such a fascinating character. It's interesting as you were uh, providing that answer, and a fine answer it was, by the way. Uh, it made me think <laughs> of my conversation, uh, as, you know, long sit down chat with Tom Wilson during the playoffs last year, and we talked, and he said the exact same thing that you just did that. Um, that there are very few players who are like Tom Wilson. And Tom Wilson said, the only other guy that I think of, you know, who's in that same kind of world, he mentioned Wayne Simmons. He talked about fighting mm-hmm. Wayne and then working out with him after. Like, there's a ton of respect. And and I think, you know, we probably not as devastating a hitter as Tom Wilson. But uh, as you point out, Wayne Simmons is a guy who would command, I would think, a lot of attention at the trade deadline because mm-hmm. he plays the style of game you know, Tom Wilson was a huge part of that Caps Cup win, right? Just he was he was a force, and Wayne Simmons mm-hmm. is that kind of player. And I, th- it would be fascinating to see if you're Chuck Fletcher. You know, there would, there would I would think there would be a long list of playoff bound teams that would would be desirous of having Wayne Simmons in their lineup because he does change the complexion of the team, especially at playoff time. So it's, uh, it was, and you're right. He's just, people, people love him and, and they should. He's, he's a 30 goal guy. He's tough as nails. Um, great leadership. So, you know, I, I can see why you'd want him to stay in Philadelphia if you're a fan, but I can also see where the potential to, you know, to maximize a return on an expiring mm-hmm. contract is, is, is pretty keen there. So, and, and he's been linked to, he's been linked to Toronto by, by some media members and, and, Obviously, I think he'd be a great fit because it, and in fact, that narrative started right after the Leafs got pushed around by the Bruins in Boston recently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, now, and I think Mike Babcock would love the guy in his lineup. But I sat down, as you know, with Kyle Dubas earlier this week uh, for an interview, and and 
the Leafs GM, while not specifically talking about Wayne Simmons, when I asked him about the trade line, deadline, he said that he didn't think that there was a rental player out there in the market that fit their needs and that they were looking more at players with term. So that was interesting because yeah. it was really the first time that the Leafs GM had kind of identified a specific type of contract that they were looking at. So it means that I, I don't know that he believes uh, that giving up assets for a rental player makes sense for them, that they want to make a trade that's going to help this team, not just this year, but beyond this year. Having said that, things can change. I mean, uh, there are rental players that haven't been made available yet that may end up be available in three months' time that maybe Kyle Dubas will change his mind on. But I, I do want to point that out because he had been a player that some people had sort of connected to the Leafs. And stuff. Um, all right, we're just about at the end of the second segment of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Just and it's it's this will be our last one before the uh, the holiday season. And that I I, I always when you know, I asked the uh, Wayne Simmons this and uh, last week when uh, when I was in Las Vegas and I was asking Mark Andre Fleury the same thing. So I'll ask you: Do you have a was there a favorite hockey gift that you remember growing up? Holiday time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anything that comes to mind for a young Pierre Lebrun? Yeah, it was, uh, I was in Hearst, Ontario, and I must have been about uh, 10 or 11 years old. And hockey had really taken over my life. I mean, it had for a few years, but I mean, that was probably at the apex of it. And right. I came down on Christmas morning. Uh, we had already unwrapped our gifts and, and you know, Santa had been generous as always, and I was happy with my lot. But my dad said, oh, I think there's one more gift I forgot. It's in the basement. And I went down to the basement, and uh, and, and there was a brand-new net that my dad Ooh. had uh, assembled and a uh, road hockey net, but the sturdy one, not the cheap ones that folded easily, but the ones that it would this net would end up lasting a good 10 years. And nice. it was at the, at the heart of a, many of our road hockey games. And so I just <laughs> remember how excited I was to see that net. And... Uh, Spent the rest of that day outside playing with it for sure. Good but, but by the way, I should mention, uh, I should mention speaking of, of Christmas, uh, because I know for a fact, my, my kids are too young and don't listen to our podcast mercifully. What? Uh, <laughs> but, 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 but every year I, we should let the world know this, that Scott Burnside pretends to be Santa Claus and phones in on Christmas Eve and, uh, and speaks to my kids and my kids just tremble every year when this phone call comes in, they cannot believe that Santa, Santa has time to talk to them. And, and amazingly Santa knows about their lists. Like someone had communicated to them. And so, uh, I'm hoping you have time again, uh, Christmas Eve, my friend to, uh, because I tell you my, my old Melanie's nine now. So we're, we're starting to, we're getting a lot of questions from her. So yes, I'm a little I'm sure. worried. This might be the last one, the last, mystery tour and frankly i think she probably knows the truth but doesn't want to address it within herself I so understand uh that. so <laughs> so if she asks you too many questions next week just make sure you're you're ready for that i'm gonna have to i'll have to make sure i do my uh, due diligence before uh, before we get the ho ho hoes <laughs> on and, uh, and and if the questions become too uh, too pressing i'll just jingle the bells a little bit louder so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that's perfect. Well, that's a good way to, to bring this to a close. I, I certainly uh, um, look forward to to my call on the 24th and uh, hope you and your family have a great holiday. And uh, all of our listeners, and thanks for hanging around. Hope you have the best of the season. And um, we'll pick 
pick it up again post Christmas. Yeah. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah. Merry Christmas, pal. You know, I love All right, it. buddy. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right. See ya.